Hello, everyone. God bless you. So glad you're joining us here online. And we would like to invite you to join us back here at Lowell Assembly. Let me explain, though. For some of you, you're excited about that. For other people, you're scared of it. We've found the healthy middle, and we've begun to do these drive-in services. This past Sunday, we had 96 people show up as the team broadcasted through a radio station. We sat outside with all of you and sang a couple of songs, shared a, a, an encouraging devotion and thought, which is basically the essence of what I'm about to share with you now. And then afterwards, we all partook in communion. And it was so great to see the church, even though we know we're all being the church. And this is how we ended it. Afterwards, we gave an invitation for anyone who's willing to put on a mask and respect social distancing and the state regulations that you are welcome to walk through the building and out through the flow of traffic that we've set up. Because sometimes it's nice to see the church while you're trying to be the church. And so it was really an encouraging time. I, I would love to see your face and have you back in this place and, and connect with you. But again, we always say the right time for you to return is when you're ready. And this is why online services will continue the way they are. And so in that vein I want to, of thought, I want to continue with our series on the simple gospel, which is really going through the book of Romans. And it all begins again here in Romans chapter one, verse 16 and 17. Paul says this, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, for it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Father, right now, in the name of Jesus, I pray that faith would arise, that hope would arise, that encouragement would arise, that we would understand that we are not living a life of Christian performance, but we are living a life of love in your grace and your mercy, and there is no place that it can't reach if we're willing to reach back. I pray that you would take this truth of the gospel and the power of the cross, and you would strengthen us in our belief and our peace with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Paul starts off and he, he says that the, the gospel is to the Jew first and then also the Greek. The reason he writes it that way is, number one, God brings the message through his people, the Jewish people. Jesus was a Jewish Messiah. And everybody, you, were, you were a Jew or you were a Gentile. And so he uses the word, the reason why it says Greek here is because everybody in the world spoke Greek in the time of the gospel, in the time of the book when Romans was written. So it's his way of basically saying the gospel is salvation, not just for the Jewish people, but also for people that are not Jewish. If you read the gospels, you'll see these moments where people are really exclusive. And I'll tell you, the church, the church can be one of two things. It can be a very inviting place that embraces people and takes them where they're at and helps them journey to where God wants them to be. Or it can be a very exclusive place that goes through and looks down at everybody else in order to elevate themselves in the process. And for every one finger that we point out at the world, there are four others pointing back at us. It's not a place that God wants us to live and it's not a place that he wants us to stand when we're sharing the message of Jesus. He says this, he says, the, it's to the Jew first. That word is protos and it, it's not just a numerical order like to the Jew first, then the Gentile as if the Gentiles are second rate citizens. Uh, a way you could best understand it is this. When you go to a wedding, there are seats in the entire building, but the bride and the groom sit in the primary seats of honor. In other words, what Paul is saying here is, this, hey, 
The gospel came to the Jewish people first. What a blessing, what an honor, but it's not just for the Jewish people. God's good news is not just for good people. It's for everybody. And that's the point of the gospel. And to help us understand the point of chapter two that we're about to wade in, I want us to look at Romans chapter three, chapter three, verse one. Look at this verse real quick with me. Then what advantage has a Jew? Or what value is circumcision? Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And then he asks this question, what if some were unfaithful? Now, in order for me to, to get to the heart of the matter, I have to explain some things. There's a day where it's too, it's, it's easy for me to say, you know, in the Bible where it says this and that, and we're just going to assume that, that some of you listening, that you've just begun to open up your heart and your life to the Bible, or maybe it's a long time since, even though you've been in church, it's been a while since you've been in, in the Bible. And so I want to explain this so that we really get the full punch of what God is trying to encourage your heart with here. And it's, it's this, he says, the, what advantage is there to a Jew? Well, what advantage is circumcision? Whenever God wants to do something in your life, he looks for you. Whenever God wants to do something to make a difference in the world, he starts with a person. He started creation with Adam and Eve. And then he turned to save the world and he'd look to Noah. And now here at years later, he starts off and he says, it is time for me to get the truth of what I'm about to do for humanity, how sin came into the world and spoiled it, but how me through my love and through my sacrifice and my death of my son on a cross, I'm gonna save it. But I need to find someone that will be the foundation that I can build on and look to. And he looks and he turns and he needs to look no further than to a man by the name of Abraham. Abraham was not from a religious home. In fact, the Bible says that he lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. That was right in the middle between Iraq and Kuwait in the time that we live. He wasn't living in church. He wasn't living in uh, uh, the Bible belt. He wasn't living in a Christian context. He was somebody that was completely out of the church. This is awesome. You may be watching this right now and saying, I've never been to church. I've never really had a relationship with God. And yet God could be calling you just as much as he would call somebody in a church. And he's calling out and he says to Abraham, I want you to leave your country. I want you to leave your family. And I want you to go to the place that I will show you. And he moves and a long story short, in chapter 12, verse one of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12, verse one, God says to Abraham, I'm gonna do something with your life. Abraham's like, with me, I'm not, I'm not a priest. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a church goer. Who are you? God begins to reveal himself to him. And that's what God is always looking for. He's looking for someone that he can reveal himself to, somebody that he can bless, somebody that he can use. And more importantly, somebody that he could be used to be a blessing to others. And he makes a covenant with Abraham and he says this, Abraham, I'm gonna make you the father of many nations. Anyone who blesses you, I'll bless. Anyone who curses you, I'll curse. Through you, every nation in the world will be blessed. He says this to Abraham three times in Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three. He says it in Genesis 15, the entire chapter. And he says it again in Genesis 17, the entire chapter. Here's the crazy part to this, because when you talk about 
circumcision, you're talking about Abraham and the message of salvation beginning with him. When God says to him, I'm going to bless you through you will come many nations. Abraham was 80 years old and his wife, Sarah was barren. Any of you watching this, many of you have been either impacted directly or indirectly by people who their greatest desire is to have a child and it just doesn't happen. Now that's a real pain. But we know that God is good even when life isn't and that God works all things together for good. He doesn't make everything and says, that's good. We live in a broken, fallen world where pain is, is a very real thing. But imagine if at the very end of your life, after you've finally closed that chapter, God comes and says, I want to do something so incredible through your life. It's going to change the world for generations and nations to come. And it's going to come through your child. You like if you're, you'd probably just like if you were drinking water, you'd just probably spit it out all over the place. And in fact, you probably would have laughed at God. And that's exactly what Abraham's wife, Sarah, did. The, he, he's, she hears the angel saying to Abraham, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a child. This time next year, your wife will, will be with child. And this is who the promise is going to come through. And she just thinks he's absolutely crazy. She laughs at the angel. But sure enough, God is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And when she gives birth, they decide to name the child Isaac, which in Hebrew means laughter. Let me grab your heart for a second. Look at me, not just with your eyes, but with your heart. A couple of things that are important to understand about God. Number one, God is a covenant-keeping God. When he says he delivers, there's no, there's no notary there's no lawyer. There's no fine print. His words is bond. And she laughed. But if God says it, you don't have to vet it. He delivers on his promises. And the Bible says this about Abraham. When he heard this, not that he believed God, the promise, like because he knows the reality that his wife can't have kids. He knows the reality that he's 80 years old. He knows that they've tried their whole life. It says not that he believed the promise, but he believed God. Anytime God is going to do something in your life, he's going to come with a promise. And all he wants you to do is hold an empty open hand and say, God, not that I believe that that could happen, but if you said it, I believe it. I receive that by faith. This is a missing step that the church has lost sight of because in a day where we we only believe it if we have it show me the money to prove it to me make make good on it see god is looking for people that will take him at his word because if you're willing to take him at his word he'll he'll take you to the world he will do something through you and when he when he does it god specializes in the ridiculous And that's what he did with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to bring this thing called the gospel and I'm going to found, I'm going to build it on the foundation of a people called the Jewish people. And it is going to go out to every person and human and, and, and every nation and every time. And I'm going to do it. And your wife is going to have a child. And Abraham didn't look at his 80 year old wife. He didn't look at himself. He didn't look at that because if he was to base it off of what he saw, he would never believe it. But he said, you know what, God, I don't know about all that, but I know 
who you are. I'm going to give it with an empty open hand. Say, oh God, if you said it, I believe it. It's time that the church returned to taking things in their hand, not by feel, but by faith. It's time that you stop trying to figure it out all up here and start resting in it here. You know what? Half of the turmoil of your heart isn't in your heart. It's the anxiety of your heart because you're trying to grab it with your head. You'll never believe promise from God if you say, once I accept it up here, I'll trust it here. That's not what Abraham did. And then God says to him this, he says, Abraham, I want to make a covenant with you. And that Hebrew word covenant means cutting, kara, or karat, it's like teach. The reason why it's called the cutting is because you would get two people together in the world. This is how they did contracts back in the ancient world. If, if you or I were to make a, a contract, let's say, let's put it into simple human terms. Uh, I'm going to do landscaping for you for this, this upcoming year. And so I say, this is what I'll cut. This is what I'll trim. This is what I'll groom. This is, this is what I'll, I'll weed and seed. And, you know, and then you say it, we, we agree on it, we sign it, and that's it. Well, in the ancient world, when they made serious covenants, they would take animals and they would cut them in half. They'd get a cow and they'd cut it in half. One half would be here, one half would be there. They would take a bird, they would do the same, a goat, a sheep. And the two people would stand next to each other and say, this is what we're going to promise to. This is my word to you and this is your word to me. They would walk down the middle of these two animals, turn back around, and this is the statement they would make. If I fail to live up to my side of the bargain, you have permission to do to me what we did to these animals. I mean, forget a lawyer, forget fine print. You didn't need a second signature and a witness signature. Your life was on the line if you didn't keep your word. My dad used to always say, Paul, your word is your bond. Your word is the only thing you have worth that you can give. Don't cheapen it by not keeping it. Now, there are times where we make promises and we have to reverse engineer them because we meant well, but they're not there. But when it comes to our commitments, we need to be a people of commitment. And God said, I'm going to be that person of commitment for you, Abraham. And I want you to trust me. The name a Abraham actually began, his name was not Abraham, it was Abram, which means exalted father. It would be like somebody in the community that everybody knows and respects, and it really doesn't matter whether they have children or not. They are an Avram, an exalted father. But God says to him, no longer will you be called Avram or Abram, as we say, but you will be called Avraham, father of many nations. He says, through you, I'm going to bless every nation. I mean, think about this. It's interesting. What, what are we talking about here? We're talking about the gospel. We're talking about salvation, how God for, wants to forgive us of our sins. And he begins with Abraham. Why Abraham? Why not go to Moses? What is, a, what is a Christian? Like, I thought that like Christianity was like, uh, uh, you know, God steps in and I say the sinner's prayer. I realize I've broken the 10 commandments and now for the rest of my life, I live a good life. Well, that's what the gospel of legalism says, that it depends on you. But the gospel of Jesus Christ says this, that you cannot save yourself. Like, listen to me. Listen closely to the statement I want to say to you here. Hell is going to be filled not with Hell is, in, hell is going to be filled with good people and it's going to be filled with bad people. Heaven is going to be filled with good people and it's going to be filled with bad people. But 
Whether you're good or bad is not depending on what sends you to heaven or hell. The difference is, will you choose to be your own savior or will you allow God to be your savior? Well, what are you talking about, Pastor Paul? I thought we were talking about Abraham and circumcision and covenants. Well, look at a little bit further. He goes on and he says this, Romans chapter three, verse one again. He says, what advantage is there to be a Jew? What value of circumcision? He starts with Abraham, rightly so, father of faith. Much in every way. To begin with, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. What is he talking about now? He's talking about Moses. He's talking about the Ten Commandments. He's talking about the book of uh, Exodus through Deuteronomy and all of the 613 laws that God gave to the Jewish people, not just the Ten Commandments. He says, what, what value is it to be a Jew? Well, many, you were entrusted with the protos, the first position, the people who had the privilege and seat of honor to deliver it. Here's the, here's the problem, that sometimes we forget that the seat of honor is not a place of superiority. And I have witnessed this in the gospels where you have Pharisees and Sadducees looking down on the world around them, but I've also seen this in the church in the 21st century that thinks because you know something that somebody else doesn't, because you are in God's word, because you attend church as if that would help you. What, what, what are you saying to me here, Paul? Well, look at, at Romans chapter three, verses nine and 10. What then? Are the Jews better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, not one. The apostle Paul is trying to get across in chapters one and two, one simple thing. That every single person, whether you've grown up outside of the church or inside of it, whether you were an unbelieving pagan or you were a church-going person, that every single human being is under condemnation through God's law through sin. You might have not gone to church, but you looked at creation. You're condemned because you've rejected God based off of your rejection of him through his witness of, of creation. Nobody's an atheist by birth. You look up, you look out, you look in a microscope, you see there's order to this. Something created this. And then you go on to suppress the truth. But now he turns to the, to the people in the church, to the Jewish people, and he says, and don't think for a second that just because you were the first seat of honor that you're off the hook. Don't mistake the, the, the truth that just because you have the law that you're exempt from it. Look at what he says, chapter two, verse one. I'm gonna read through here all the way to verse 11. <laughs> and it speaks for itself. You therefore, who is he talking to? He's talking to, to the Jewish people. Maybe today if Paul was here, he would be talking to the Christian church. No doubt about it. You therefore have no excuse, O oh man, every one of you who judges for impassing judgment on another. You condemn yourself because the judge, the practice, the very, you, you who judge practice the very same things. For we know the judgments of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O oh man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Skip down to verse five. But because of your hard and impotent hearts, you are storing up for yourself wrath on the day when, of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, those who by patience and well-doing uh, for seeking glory and honor and immortality, 
He will give eternal life, but for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth and obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil to the Jew first and also the Greek. There's that thing he comes in, Jew and Greek, and then he goes on and he says, but glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. This is confusing because... You see, it's easy for us to look out at a murderer or somebody that we would deem as wicked and evil and say, they definitely are there. But then we look at ourselves and we say, but I'm a good person. Do you know what? Hell will be filled with good and bad people and heaven will be filled with good and bad people, but they are not going to be filled or empty because a person is good because there is no one good. Paul says there's no one righteous, not one. Their throats are an open grave. Misery and ruin mark their way. There isn't one person that can come before God and say, I did it. God is not coming to the world that was wicked and putting his arm around it and saying, thank you for receiving my son. I forgive you. And then to the other people that went to church and putting it or went to synagogue or went to church and put his arm around him and saying, thank you so much. You're a good person. And you were coming in here anyway. Thank you very much. No, every single one of us, it doesn't matter where you've broken God's law. You've broken it. There's not one person righteous. Nobody's going to be in heaven strutting saying, I got here because I earned it. Chapter 3, verse 20, he says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. Listen, God's word and God's law, it doesn't do anything except show you what's wrong with yourself. And unless you're willing to admit you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. But you know what many people do in the church world? They go through their church life and they look out at everyone else and they say, that person is so bad. Well, thank goodness I go to church and I read my Bible and I talk to God. Listen, you, you've done your fair share. God is holy and his standard is so pure and so powerful and so out of your reach. The only way that you can get there is through Jesus. You could take the worst person you ever met in your life and put them in a pit. And you could take the nicest person you've ever known and put them on top of Mount Everest. And you can compare how far that one person is to the other. But neither of those people can touch a star. That star is as far out of reach as both of them. And what I'm trying to tell you is what Paul was trying to tell the Jewish people, which this pastor is trying to tell the Christian church, which I'm trying to tell you, which God is trying to get across to you. You don't get to heaven because you're a good person. You get there because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And until we're willing to admit we're sick, we will never look for a cure. And you may feel so much better about yourself because you're way up here and that person is way down there, but the journey to heaven is so far out of your reach, you can't get there without Jesus. That's why he died. That's why he paid the price for our sins. He did for you and me what we can't do. Nobody's going to be in heaven saying, I'm here because I'm a good person. I made it. God's not going to pat you on the back and say, well done for being a godly, righteous person. He'll, he'll reward us for the good we've done, but he's not gonna say you're here because of the good you've done. What good is it? Take two people and put a bomb in there and say one person has a PhD in bombs and another person is totally ignorant, but that bomb, you can't keep it from detonating. It's gonna go and, the, and, and it doesn't matter. There's no, there's no way out of it. No matter how much you know, you can't disarm that bomb. That's the same truth with God's law. It really doesn't matter 
for those of us that go to church, how well acquainted we, we are because it's not our knowledge and our life that saves us. It's his, it's his. And here's the good news as I close this off. Romans chapter three, 21. But now a righteousness from God has been manifest apart from the law. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Romans chapter one, he points at the, at the, at the world outside of the church and says, you're lost and you're not an atheist. You're rejecting my revelation of who I am through what's been created. No one's an atheist by birth. But in chapter two, he turns to the, to the church world, to the synagogue and to the saint in the 21st century and says, you're no better than that person. You're lost too and you need my son because there's no one righteous. But then he turns and he looks and he points to Abraham. Why Abraham? He points to Moses and that's obvious to the oracles of God. What a privilege and honor. It's, an, it's a position of honor, not a position of privilege that we get in knowing who God is. It's an honor to be able to share him with others. But he turns and he looks back at Abraham. Why? It's because what God wants to do through your life is as crazy and ridiculous as looking at an 80-year-old man and woman and saying, you're going to have a child and that child is going to bless every single person on the face of the earth from here forward and every nation. And then say, do you trust me? If you do, hold out your hand and say yes. You see, the church has lost what this is all about. It's an empty, open hand of faith that says, oh God, I can never earn this. I can never make this happen. And in fact, it's so ridiculous and crazy. I can't even believe that that's even possible. But I'll believe you. You may be looking at yourself right now and your life might be such a walking hypocritical contradiction. You might be so far from God, you might be saying to yourself, why would God even ever want me? Maybe you're not even a church going person. You're like, why would God even want me? He's gonna ignore me. No, he loves you. He, he died for you forgive your sins, to bring you to heaven, not because of how good you are, but because of how good he is. But you might be a Christian and you might be looking at your own life and saying, I'm, why would God even have anything to do with me? I'm such a hypocrite. I'm such a walking contradiction. You're learning the same thing that every single one of us has to come to grips with, is that God's not looking for good people. He's looking for faith people. Let's say, oh God, I don't know why you'd look at my life. It'd probably be easier for you to have an 80 year old woman have a child than it is for you to forgive my willful sin. And it's not that I believe that that's even possible, but if, if you said it, I'll trust it. And that's what the gospel is. It doesn't matter whether you've grown up in or out of the church. It doesn't matter if you go to church or not. It doesn't matter how high or low you are. It's how open and willing you are to accept what God wants to do not by thinking, not by doing, but by trusting, by trusting him. That's what faith is. Lord, right now in the name of Jesus, 
I pray for every single person listening. Every single person listening that has been putting their trust in trying to be their own savior, thinking that they get good standing with you on good behavior, treating you like a frequent flyer credit card that if they spend enough on good deeds that they'll earn a free trip to heaven. Lord, it's like touching a star. It's impossible. And I also pray for the person that's listening that never grew up in church, but something's stirring in them. You're waking something up and they're like, I know I'm a wreck. How could God ever forgive me? Oh God, I don't know if I could believe that you would ever be possible for me to be forgiven. But if you say it, I'm going to just trust you and let you do it. And you come to him with an empty open hand of faith. That's what we do right now, Lord. We come to you and we say, Lord, be our savior. We don't want to be our own. Anything that we do that's good from here forward, we want it to be out of love and goodness for you, not out of earning any favor with you. Truth is, we can't even promise you that we will even get this right moving forward. But if we fall, help us to fall closer to you. Help us to get back up knowing that what Jesus did is what brings us to heaven, not what we do. You want to clean my life. I know that, Lord, and that's, that's going to take some time. But until then, you want me to trust in the life that you have for me. And that's what we pray. Lord, you would bring life and life abundantly through faith in the lives of those listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening. If God spoke to you, if something impacted your life here, you were encouraged, you were moved, or especially if you prayed that prayer, if you're watching online, you click that button, or you would send us an email to office at lowellag.org. We want to reach out to you. we got so many different ways to Power, empower and encourage your life. And we invite you out at 11 o'clock to our drive-in service. Until then, God bless you. We love you. Hope that you continue to walk in God's grace. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Please go to our website, lowellag.org, to keep up with everything that's happening with the church. Make sure to follow us on social media. And again, if you missed any part of this message, you can always hear it back on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Play. God bless you, and we'll see you soon.